Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Hey, it's Brood in Bangkok, and I'm your host, Carsten Eichholz. Today, we have a very special guest. It's a bit of a television celebrity and a published author. We'll get to my interview with him very soon. I'm a little bit hyped up today because I'm a few cups of coffee into the very nice blue mountain coffee I picked up. So I got a food scale and uh, I actually use it to measure food. I didn't know you would use it for anything else until I had a couch surfer once see it. His eyes lighted up and he's like, whoa, I'm like, it's a food scale. He's like, oh, you use it for food. I thought you were using it for, you know, something else we can consume in small quantities. And that's when it dawned on me, like, oh, right, drug dealers need to somehow measure the produce pretty exactly. Anyway, I use it to measure the amount of grams of coffee I put into my coffees. So I hope that given some time, that'll actually result in me determining the perfect amount of coffee that I have to put in in order to get the best taste out of it. However, for this interview, we also went to drink coffee and Taste wasn't the priority, though I actually do like it there. Let's find out where we went. And we're recording. Hi, this is Karsten Eichholz from Brood in Bangkok, and I'm sitting in Starbucks Woo! with Matt Lucas. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't drunken anything yet except for water and coffee. And wait, was it? what is it that uh, you... I have a nice cup of chai over here. Okay, is that... It's brewing it's brewing yep is did you did you leave the tea bag in yeah you're not supposed to I, i think like you know i had a thing actually you know i was um when i started my business i was living with my business partner mm -hmm. and it was like a running joke that i had to make every cup of tea three times mm. because the first two times i would totally forget about it and it would lead like brew literally for 20 minutes at which point it just becomes this disgusting bitter mess and the whole process would start over until at the third time i just finally just set a timer mm. like five minute timer and that does make sense i never really realized why tea tasted so bitter all the time <laughs> <laughs> okay so um You know, I, I was I was thinking I should actually write down an introduction to, you know, what I actually want to say. And I, well, I always mess that up. But womp, womp. Yeah. Oh, well. I'll, I'll record another one later on. Like, you know, when I sit at my home alone and uh, I'll be creative and structured in my approach to this. Thank you. Sounds okay. good. It sounds? Sounds good. Oh, cool. Right. So, Matt, mm -hmm. you're famous. Uh, I would. I like to say that I'm D-level famous. How many times per week are you in television? Uh, about three times a week. So I work at Max Muay Thai as an English language commentator on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Uh, so you comment about fights? Yes. Do people give you a lot of shit about commenting? Mm, I think you might be the only one so far. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when I sit at home, I never, I, I don't watch Muay Thai fights, at least not commented in English. Mm -hmm. I just see it when I watch soccer, right? Right. And there's like this universal sentiment that people commenting soccer matches suck. Yeah, I think that's basically across the board. Definitely other people give a lot of flack to uh, fight commentators. 
Joe Rogan or whoever is behind the mic is a, always a, an idiot. Uh, and in this case, I get to be that idiot. So, so what is the criticism usually like? Um, people usually criticize fight commentators. You know, we'll have a bias. Um, this Muay Thai fight commentator, Vinny Shorman, is very much enthralled with uh, a couple English fighters that he knows very well. But Vinny is actually a good commentator, but he'll also get that sort of negative criticism sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, it, I think it's the general across-the-board sports commentating negative reviews like oh he's so biased oh he doesn't know what he's talking about but well i'm just thinking by myself like what kind of expectations do people have i mean yeah i mean he, he's kicking the ball he's hitting his head i mean there's only so much you can say about that right yeah exactly so, so do you like try to come up with new things do you like um i do sometimes you know i try and brainstorm Occasionally, I try and watch fights and listen to other commentators. Uh, my co-commentator, Rob Cox, is much more experienced than me. Uh, he's been commentating and doing Muay Thai journalism for the last 10 plus years. Um, so he mainly sticks to sort of play-by-play -play commentating, which, you know, I like, uh, but also... You know, other commentators like, say, Vinnie Shorman will talk about the person's characteristics or their past a bit more. Um, and that can be interesting, too. Um, but, you know, you watch the fights all the time. So it, it can get sometimes repetitive. But as a commentator, the whole point is you're bringing excitement. You're trying to bring something new to the show. Um, and that can definitely require some work, just like any sort of public performance requires work. Have you? How long have you been doing this? Uh, it's been about six or seven months now. Uh, I started at Max in January. We were just doing two shows a week. Um, on Saturdays, they have a four-man tournament. Um, four Thai fighters battling it out for a grand prize of 50,000 baht. Then on Sundays, there's uh, seven bouts of foreigners versus ties. Um, now, which one gets the, the higher quota? Uh, like the more viewers? Uh -huh. um, usually Sunday nights. Um, people like to watch the foreigners duke it out with the ties. Um, the stadium gets a bit more packed. People get into it a bit more. But... You know, the Saturday night shows can also be very exciting. Um, sort of depends on the fighters in the ring, um, just all around. You know, sometimes you can have a boring-ass guy from Germany or England and an exciting Thai fighter, and, you know, he'll be fighting on the Saturday show. And you know. What does a boring fighter look like? I mean, does um, it, like... Just so, like, usually... So the max format is definitely geared towards aggression and excitement. So usually you want a fighter that is, um, you know, very aggressive and likes to bang. Uh, sort of willing to stand in front of their opponent and take some shots, give some shots, not really backing down. I love major stadiums. Um, 
it relies a bit more on points. So you can fight very safely um, without really damaging yourself or getting damaged and sort of backing away from your opponents. Using the ring um, to sort of evade, whereas at max, they, they want you to press forward. They um, score aggression pretty highly. Okay, so have you yourself had a learning journey as a commentator where you said, okay, at the beginning you commented in one way and that has developed over the months? Um, I think that more or less I've become a bit more comfortable uh, speaking into the microphone. So, um, and I would say that I'm not always doing play-by-play -play stuff. I try and, because Rob... Uh, Cox, my co-commentator, is more focused on the play-by-play -play stuff. So I try and add some other things. Um, you know, how someone is pushing their glove against their opponent's face to make space in the clinch or, you know, a bit more tactical things. Just to add variety, you know, I want to be repeating what Rob is saying all the time. Does it help you as a fighter to comment Like, or is that already, you know, you know, that's kind of stuff I know or... Yeah, it's more or less stuff I know. Um, I don't think that it really help, has helped me as a fighter. Um, yeah, I don't think so. You know, I think that you can definitely develop skills as a fighter by training someone, but not necessarily by commentating on fights. And for you, if you look at your persona in the fighting world, mm -hmm. um, so you're now on television. Mm -hmm. People know you. Do they recognize you? You're like they're like, ooh, ooh. Um, occasionally, um, uh, occasionally I'll get um, pictures taken with tourists and whatnot outside of the stadium, um, but not as uh, often as say the. Uh, VJ or the host uh, DJ Poom or Beer Max um, definitely more than my co-commentator Rob Cox but I think that's because I'm better looking ah. yeah. who's Beer Max? Uh, Beer Max is uh, one of the hosts of the show he usually works on Sunday nights with DJ Poom okay and they're the Thai hosts or the yeah. They're the Thai hosts. They're a bit more like on the camera, uh, whereas Rob and I sit ringside looking at the fights, commentating, you know, oh, kapow, right in the kisser, uh, which you'll hear on your TV. But they don't see you. But they don't see me. You can see me ringside. I usually sit uh, by the red corner. So when the camera pans over to the red corner you can see me sitting there gawking at the fighters thinking of something eloquent to say and you succeed often <laughs> <laughs> okay you actually speaking of I mean, eloquent right do you not only speak you write yeah occasionally you wrote a book i did write a book uh i wrote a book called uh, the boxer soliloquy how long did you have to practice to pronounce that <laughs> quite a while <laughs> they Actually, the real problem was uh, spelling soliloquy correctly. Uh, that took much longer. How did you pick the title? Um, so the title comes from the title story 
in the book, although I wouldn't necessarily say it's the strongest story, um, but I thought it was a fitting title to the book. Um, it's a bit unique of a title, maybe a bit hard to search in Google for, but you know, whatever. Um, I just, the book itself is composed of a series of interconnected short stories about fighters in America um, and coming to Thailand, training and fighting. Um, it's about their you know, jobs, their relationships. It sort of, uh, you know, talks about themselves. So I felt soliloquy. Are you getting there? <laughs> See, it is hard to say. Would be a fitting title for it. Oh, which is uh, why I made you say it. I uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of skirted the issue there a bit. Um, is it an autobiographical account or is it like what you see from friends? or? Yeah, it's not autobiographical. Um, although some of the experiences are drawn from my own life. Um, I have, I am from America. I have worked, you know, for example, one of the characters in the book uh, works at a restaurant. I spent a long time working as a waiter and bartender at several restaurants. Um, and of course, I've saved up money. I've traveled here to Thailand. I've fought out here. So in some degrees, like the experiences of the characters in the book are similar to mine but not always like one character has children i've never had children another character owns a gym i don't own a gym you know things like would you want to um i don't think so actually owning a gym isn't that kind of the traditional career path yeah it is definitely the traditional career path i wouldn't mind working for someone that owned the gym uh-huh um, Why is that? Uh, I'm just like not that motivated. I think owning your own business is a lot of work. And I don't really like to work that much. <laughs> so, so do you think that people who do open gyms are, you know, know what they're doing? No, not all the time. <laughs> I think that sometimes they're just motivated to open a gym and, you know. For lack of... Any other ideas or? Yes. What about, I mean, the new gym owning might be the Muay Thai blogging. Uh, well, I recently wrote a little bit about uh, Muay Thai and I noticed how many blogs there are, how many people write about Muay Thai. And yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously you have these blogging communities in a lot of different fields. Mm -hmm. But what strikes me as odd is that at the same time, everybody in Muay Thai talks about how there is no money in it for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yet there's so many people who write about it. Yeah, I'm not sure why people do. Um, you know, obviously I write about it and there is very little money in it. What was your motivation? Um, I think that I wanted to... When I write or do something, it's because I feel like the content isn't out there and it's something that I would want to read. So the book that I wrote, The Boxer Soliloquy, I didn't really write for anyone else. I wrote it because, you know, I wanted to read a book like it. But at the same time, you said you're not really the most motivated person. I, but a book, I, no, but no, a book, no, no, but no, a book. no. I don't like to work. 
Okay. I I, w- I would say I'm pretty motivated. But putting a book together is a lot of work. Yeah, it's true. So I don't like to. I don't know. I don't like to work for other people. Okay. So, what would you like to do in the future? Um. Well, I'm gonna spend this year trying to get some fights in. Uh, right now, I'm 34, so I probably can't biologically fight for much longer. Um, Why is that? Just your body slows down. Um, can't yeah. you fight against other grandpas or? Yeah, you could. Yes, you can. But you know that the majority of people fighting are gonna be in their early 20s. Um, And just their speed, their recovery rate, their ability to cut weight um, is going to be a, a lot better than, you know, a 30, 40-year-old. Um, ability to cut weight. Yeah. So, uh, Muay Thai is a weight-specific sport. Right. So, a 20-year-old can much more easily cut five to six kilos than, say, a 34-year-old. Why is that? Like, I mean, personal yeah. interest here. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, your body metabolism um, has an easier time of cutting the weight. Uh, your metabolism tends to slow down as you get older. Can't you just do like more running or more punching or less eating? Uh, you can, but it still becomes harder. Like it's more of an uphill battle to cut, you know, those five kilos when you're 35 versus when you're 25 so and then you can still do it but it's like you know you have to spend that extra hour to every day working out or you know making sure you're eating right and that work is just it compounds and it can be more difficult so, so no more fighting Yeah, maybe. Yeah, in a year or so. So, what what do you what do you what is it actually that you would be giving up? I mean, you're not like what is it that you would give up when you stop fighting? Um, just getting into the ring and fighting. I'll probably uh, still train quite regularly. Right now, I train about 20 hours or more a week. Um, that is a lot. Yeah. Is that is that normal, average, lots, little? Um, I would say so. Most Muay Thai fighters are training about five hours a day, six days a week. So, you know, out here at least. So the average Muay Thai fighter is, f you know, training about 30 hours a week. Um, it's a full time job. But so the full time job implies that you're getting, you know. A salary. salary. <laughs> yeah. Well, they get their salary from their fights. That's when they perform. That's when, you know, everything that they've been doing for the last three or four weeks, you know, shows. But, it, like, uh, how much money do they make? Like, what the, like I don't know, leaving aside the superstars, you know, mm -hmm. if you're a reasonably good Thai guy... How long is your active career and how much do you expect to make before you start driving taxis in Bangkok? Yeah. So most Muay Thai fighters will start off pretty young. Uh, they'll start off at like eight years old, nine years old, maybe 10 or 12. 
Um, they'll start fighting at small sort of village fights, at which point they'll be making like maybe a thousand baht, maybe six hundred or five hundred baht. Then a fight at age ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good money for a ten-year-old. Yeah, yeah, it's good money. Um, you know, it can definitely help out the parents. Most fighters are from poorer areas, Isan or the south. Um, so it can definitely help out. Is that the reason why they, you know, the parents sent them, you know, go fight so you can help pay for the farm? Or uh, I think sometimes. I think definitely there's the economic motivation. Uh, there's also not a lot to do in those areas. So, you know, Muay Thai is an escape route to some degree. Okay, so from there, I assume the money increases. Yeah, so usually most fighters will, if they're good and doing well, will uh, come to Bangkok, stay at a major gym or like an established gym, and from there make the majority of their money fighting at the big stadiums like Lumpini or Raja Demner and maybe Channel 7. Um so some of the guys at FA Group, the gym I currently train at, it's up by Chaduchak Park behind Channel 7 Stadium. They make about 20,000k per fight. They will fight about once a month. And that they're like, you know, they're fighting regularly at Lumpini or Raja Demnern. Um, some of them are ranked, some of them are not. So, you know, it's... So, oh. But that's like a ballpark 20,000 baht a month for mm -hmm. a good fighter mm -hmm. and how many of I mean is that the top 100 fighters in the country the top thousand the uh, maybe top thousand okay so the top, top thousand people stand to make about 20,000 yeah. excluding the mm -hmm. and um, how long are they active so now Thai fighters can fight um, I would say into their mid 20s um at which point they'll need to start fighting internationally um, if they're able to. Wait, they, like when they get too old for the Thai market, they have to fight internationally? <laughs> like? Well, you, because uh, you know, the sport is still growing internationally, most international fighters are not as good as the Thai fighters. They just don't have the same amount of ring experience. So if they have had, you know, a decent career here in Thailand and made a decent name for themselves and have connections, they can go overseas or to China, Japan, Europe, or Australia and fight over there, uh, fight the foreign fighters and do quite well. But they have to do the Thai thing first. They can't just skip that and say, you know what, I'll just go to the... I mean, it sounds like there's a bit of a shortcut there that you can do. You're just yeah. like... <laughs> um, yeah, they basically will need to have had some ex a fair amount of experience here in Thailand first. So they have maybe, what is it, five, six, seven years of active mm -hmm. work here. And then they have a chance to work for a few more years abroad. Mm -hmm. And then it's become a Muay Thai teacher. Yeah, basically. Um, you know, I mean, even the very best guys like um, Pet Buntu or Sakadao, recently Sam A have become Muay Thai teachers um, at a gym in Singapore called Evolve and they get paid pretty handsomely um, 
and they're they're like the top top tier guys. Um, kind of where the name brings in students. Yeah, exactly. That's a marketing scheme of Evolve. It's like we have champions to teach huh. you how to fight and kick and punch and elbow. What, ab what about everybody else? Like, I mean, 10 years after, do you, do you hear about, do you know what happens to them? Do you like... I mean, most people will sort of end up going home, will, you know, not... Sadly, sadly, a lot of people don't always save their money or will have, you know, fruitlessly spent it. Um, so, you know, they end up as, like, tuk-tuk drivers or basic laborers. Do, do you... Are you close with, like, Thai fighters? Or do you know Thai fighters who were active 10 years ago and are now no longer? Um... I do know some. Most of the ones that I, I still know have uh, become trainers to some degree. Um, but, you know, not a ton. Um, just because, like, over the last eight or nine years, I've been in and out of Thailand. Um, so I haven't made, like, super long connections. But, yeah, there's not a huge future for Muay Thai fighters but you know to be honest they didn't really have a big future to start off with that's what you're saying is that when these kids start out they're usually in an area where you know there's either nothing else to do or no opportunities yeah, and they exactly. get to do Muay Thai yeah. so do you think I mean that basically sets them up for a path of Muay Thai yeah and do you think that's good uh I mean, not really. I mean, I think Muay Thai is better than farming rice. But, you know, there, there's just not a lot of options for people in poor areas. Um, you know, the education option is pretty abysmal. Um, I think if your parents don't have money, it's going to be really hard to get yourself educated, to go to a good college, to land a good job. You know, you're not going to have the same connections. So, Do those kids, I mean, in the West, you have sometimes have these sports academies where kids train or teenagers train very long hours. But there's some kind of uh, adapted curriculum so they still, you know, get their degrees or, you know, it's like actors, basically, you know. Um, you know, where they have a high school equivalent yeah. degree mm -hmm. or... Is there such a thing in Thailand? Like, do these Muay Thai like do they do they go to school in one form or another? Yeah. So some some kids will still go to school while they are actively training and fighting, um, but a lot of them don't. They basically become full time workers when they're you know 13 or 14. So they finish uh, elementary school mm -hmm. and then they become a fighter full time. Yes. And they drop out because of Muay Thai or they do Muay Thai because they would be dropping out anyway? Yeah, one or the other. I think, I don't know the specific statistics, but I think that is, you know, more or less true. Well, sounds a bit sinister. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I would not want to be, you know, poor here in Thailand or for that matter anywhere.
You are from the US. Yes. And you were born in the US. Mm -hmm. How many years have you lived there? Uh, so I was born in 1981. I'm 34 now. I have lived the majority of my life in America. I grew up in upstate New York in a rural town outside of Albany. It's a sort of, when I describe it to people out here, I actually describe it as similar to Isan. Lots of tractors, lots of cows. There's corn instead of rice. But, you know, there's a lot of similar cultural things. People don't really leave town that much. Uh, most of my classmates are still living in Copaskill. Um, I eventually, I went to college for a short while and then got kicked out. I made my way to California where um, after a bit I became involved in Muay Thai. Um, One second, you, um, you grew up in that countryside mm -hmm. and then you in the end ended up being in the countryside in Thailand. Well, I, I live in Bangkok, so it's not quite the countryside. Did you train? Did you train in Bangkok when you first came here? Or yes, yeah. You never been to these I've, I've, because I've heard it's the countryside gyms that yeah. are like the tough ones. Yeah, that. Um, I think it, it depends gym to gym. There's, I've definitely been to countryside gyms that are very tough. Um, I've also been to countryside gyms that are a bit more lax. Um, what's what's lax in that context? Just like four hours a day, or <laughs> no, more like two. Okay. Or they won't necessarily um, push the fighters as hard, or the training is just not as intense. Um, so usually the Bangkok gyms are tend to be a bit more intense than the countryside gyms. You're talking about the fighters getting pushed. So from what I understand, the fighters, they stay at the gym, they live at the gym, mm -hmm. and they eat there, they train there. Mm -hmm. And um, do they pay for that? Yeah, generally, so a Thai fighter will have a contract with the gym. It's about a five-year contract, more or less, depending on the individual. And the gym gets half their purse. Uh, so... It's in the gym's interest to sort of have um, highly developed fighters that get big purses. So they get pushed. So they get pushed. So if you are, you know, a good fighter, um, I will try and push you more to become a great fighter. That way, instead of making, you know, only 60,000 baht per fight, you're making 80. Because I'm getting half of that. So I'll want you know, 40,000 baht a month from you rather than 30. Do you think there can be like a conflict of interest where, you know, the might not be in the best interest of the fighter? Oh, the, definitely. How does that look? Um, so sometimes you'll see um, gym owners uh, mismatching their fighters. On purpose? Maybe not on purpose, or, but it definitely economically motivated. So it's like, you know, maybe you've fought for a while and you haven't been doing that well your last couple of fights, um, but I want that money from you, so I match you up with someone uh, because I want that 30,000 baht. 
And really, you should be taking like a month or two off or maybe having an easier fight where maybe you're only making like 5,000 baht. Um, but I match you up with that, you know, 60,000 baht fighter because I want that 30 when really you should be fighting for less money or not at all that month. And do the fighters know? I mean, but, but what do you know? Like, do you trust your gym to match you? Like, you probably don't know who you're fighting, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, definitely foreign fighters, it's harder for them to know who they're fighting. I think that to some degree, the Thai fighters will have a little more insight just having been around the game for a while longer. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's a complicated situation because your gym owner is to some degree your boss. He's also your family because you're living there. You're living at his property. You know, you're eating with him. You know, you're sleeping in the same house with him. You're sleeping next to all the other fighters. Your trainer generally lives in the same house as you. So it becomes a bit more complicated to be like, well, you know, old man is, you know, sent me up here, but he's also feeding me. So... so They also like so, so maybe the fighters don't want to say no. I mean, yeah, yeah you don't. Uh. Yeah, I think it it becomes difficult to say no or to sort of always voice for you know to have a voice for your best interests. Is that because for you know financial reasons? Because if they say no, then they get kicked out of the gym and no one else will take them, or because they don't want to upset dad so to speak yeah i think i think both issues um if you break a contract with a gym um so if like i'm on a five-year contract with you know fa group or something and then i walk out of that contract i can't create a new contract with a new gym i'm basically blacklisted for the remaining time of my contract so if I walk out after three years, that means for two years I can't sign a new contract. And in that two years, you know, my body will age, my technical abilities might fall, I won't have had as much ring experience, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's not in the best interest generally for fighters to walk away from the contract and out of the relationship, but... And also, you know, you don't necessarily want to be upsetting dad, so. Is that, I mean, contracts, usually a lot of when people hear about Thailand, they don't think about things being as much regulated by paper than by <laughs> other things. So is that, is that like, how does contract enforcement look? Does, does like the fighter in the gym hire a lawyer and then they go <laughs> to this district court or? Well, that has definitely happened in the past. Um, most notably with uh, Bu Kao, who's probably the world's most famous Muay Thai fighter. He had issues with his gym owner, uh, Ban Chimak, or no, I'm sorry, Por Pramuk. Um, you know, he was having issues with the gym owner taking too much of his purse or not giving him enough of the cut. Um, yeah. Huh. Okay, so... But, I mean, that goes to... For the normal small-time gym, do... Um, uh, like, is it more of a 
industry reputation that people know you know the gym owners know each other and they're like okay that's yeah. your guy and you don't touch him you know while he's in the my contract more so or less more or less okay is there like do people get like well roughed up um i don't think so although i am not that close to like the inside information on those sort of things you know a lot of times disputes with gyms sort of um sort of like you know it it always seems like there's more than one side to the story right and it's always unclear as to whose side is necessarily true or truer is it like a lot of gossip uh yeah sometimes sometimes like you know i don't know fighters sitting around and gossiping like yeah i think that at least i've heard more um from foreign fighters the foreign fighters are the are gossiping but that's also because i can speak english much better than i can speak thai huh. yeah so maybe when uh, you know when my thai gets better i'll hear more thai people gossiping about what do people gossip about like what's the um you know people will gossip about like the training at certain gyms like oh x gym was good oh y gym was bad oh blah 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 mm. oh this fighter is lazy oh this fighter is good that sort of stuff so you were talking earlier about your journey from the u.s to thailand uh you grew up in upstate new york moved to california and then started muay thai Yeah, more or less. So I was working in a restaurant. I didn't want to go to school uh, and finish out my co collegiate degrees. Um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. I was like 24, 25. You know, I definitely uh, drank a lot. So, you know, that was fun for a while, but I felt like I needed to be doing something else, um, especially working in a restaurant there's definitely a big culture of drinking um so i started going to a muay thai gym and i went one day then i went the next then i started going all the time i saw a interclub fight uh and i decided oh i should try that so, so I you got started with muay thai when you were 24 you didn't fight before no i was actually never athletic before I started doing Muay Thai. I never really ran, never really played high school sports. So sort of dorky kid, just hung out, read a lot, no sports really. And got into Muay Thai and from there too. Yeah, so I had a few of these inter-club fights and had an amateur fight or two in America. And I was like, well, I've never been abroad before. Uh, I should go to Thailand and train in Thailand. Uh, like from never being been abroad before, ever before, you're like, I'm going to do that getting hit in the face in Asia. Basically. So I went, I saved up money. I went to Thai language school at a local temple. Um, so I learned some basic Thai and then I got on a plane and went to Bangkok. Um, I trained and I fought um, in Pattaya, actually. 
then I went back home after a three, three months of training here in Thailand. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Uh, I sort of liked it going out there and training and fighting. It was interesting. You know, I learned a lot about uh, Thailand culturally. And I was like, oh, I should keep doing this. So it's been eight or nine years since. Um, training and fighting still. Learning Thai and living the dream. And up next is art. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I think as my fight career has comes to a close, I'm sort of thinking more and more about what my future plans are. Um, I was doing a lot of stencil art, sort of graffiti-style stencils. Um, in America, I actually had a art show that was all Muay Thai-themed. Um, Muay Thai stenciled art. Um, so I'm thinking about doing that more in the future, um, especially because I feel like the art world here in Bangkok is relatively easy to break into. Um, What makes you think that? Uh, I think just because it's a smaller country. Okay. I mean, it's a tough assertion. I assume there's <laughs> a lot of artists out there who are like, I've tried. Yeah, I've tried. I haven't made it. Uh, maybe, maybe I just am overconfident or very much believe in myself. Well, that's a good start. Yeah. Um, you know, I also have, I feel like I have def decent... Uh, stencil graffiti skills um, I can make more or less uh, Banksy style uh, graffiti pretty easily like aesthetically on that level uh, and I actually don't think Banksy is that aesthetically that uh, complicated um, so I feel like I can do that or better so I think you know we'll see what happens in the future though I do remember uh, I had a friend here who was playing around with stencil and uh, he had uh, he took a picture of Mao uh -huh. the cultural revolution leader in China and crossed out his eyes mm -hmm. so like a dead yeah. guy and below the uh, image he put the text in Thai Mao Lao <laughs> I, th I think there's like one copy of that shirt that exists and yeah. I wouldn't recommend wearing it yeah, that around any Chinese speaking <laughs> yeah. That That is funny though. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that going on, right? I mean, if you look at um, T-shirts mm -hmm. that everybody has been always joking about, oh, you go to Thailand, you have a T-shirt export business. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a thing. And I've just a year ago or two years ago met someone who actually raised close to well they actually did raise eight million uh, eight figure US mm -hmm. uh, for a t-shirt startup printing t-shirts wow that's so, impressive yeah I mean just because people say you know that has been done um, there's always a new opportunity yeah for sure well I'll be looking forward to see the Banksy level art coming <laughs> out of Bangkok and crushing the local art scene. <laughs> you uh, you might have to wait a while. I'm still doing the fighting, so 
It'll be a year or two. Okay. If we want to see you fight, mm -hmm. how do we go about that? Um, so my upcoming fight on the 20th will be at Max Muay Thai down at, in Patia. It's a Monday night. Is it like an announcement somewhere online? or? Uh, no, this is a lower level fight. Um, I'm still trying to gain a bit more experience. Uh, but eventually I will probably fight on the televised shows, uh, which are on Sunday nights. And those are a bit better advertised. Hmm. And if you want to hear you, mm -hmm. uh, it's Max. Yes. Uh, how do you how do you find that on your channel like that's uh, so you can watch uh, it every night or every Friday Saturday Sunday night at around 7:20 p.m. Uh, excuse me it goes to about 10 p.m. Uh, on channel 8 here in Thailand uh, you can also watch Max Muay Thai on YouTube and uh, they have their own website or YouTube channel, and it's also commonly on uh, the Channel 8 YouTube channel. And the English track will be provided by... Uh, usually you'll need to watch the English track live here in Thailand, although that might change in the future. Okay, well, I'll be checking it out. For sure. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time. <laughs>